Hi everyone, this is Marsha, and I'm the director and founder of the Brooklyn Caribbean Literary Festival. I'm thrilled and elated to announce the birth and launch of our brand new podcast, CocoPod. Consider the aromatic CocoPod and how, after carefully ripening under the Caribbean sun, it generously offers up its rich fruit in due season. CocoPod by BCLF aims to provide a similar delight. Each episode is a seed, a nugget of an original Caribbean story told in the voice of its writer. Each story, an infinite gift by the offshoot of an ancient griot tradition. As a whole, Caribbean stories are like a mighty tree whose branches extend, offering shade and comfort wherever her children settle. From my team and the legion of Caribbean writers behind us, we bring to you the warmest of welcomes. Xochil Gonzalez is an American-born writer of Puerto Rican descent. Her debut novel, Olga Dies Dreaming, launches today in the United States. The novel, which has already been picked up by Hulu for a mini-series, is set to become one of 2022's greatest novels by Caribbean writers. Xochil will now read an excerpt from Olga Dies Dreaming for you. Noir was a satiating place to be sad, Olga thought, as she sidled up to the bar and ordered her usual. Filled with regulars who seemed to have nowhere to be and no one who cared if they made it there, it lacked the sense of possibility that the newer spots in her rapidly gentrifying corner of Brooklyn conveyed. There were no reclaimed woods or cleverly imagined industrial lamps with Edison bulbs lighting the place. Noir was more like a well-insulated garage, illuminated by mismatched lamps and filled with old kitchen stools in a completely unironic way. The air conditioning was weak, so on warm days like this one, you were never quite hot, but never quite cool either. The major draw for Olga, anyway, was its jukebox, filled with old funk and R&B from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. She paid for some songs she thought Jan might like, and Sarita's Keep Keep Him Like He Is filled the small bar. When she made her way back to her seat, she felt a hovering presence behind her. Can I help you, she turned to say. Before her was a swarthy, unfamiliar fellow. A sad sack who, though she had never seen him before, had escaped her attention because he blended in so well with the other pouty faces. Hey, so, you know, I was just finishing up a meeting and I stopped in here and then you went and played one of my favorite songs. Did you know she was once married to Stevie Wonder? Everyone knows that, Olga said. Do they? He tapped a woman named Jeanette on the shoulder. Jeanette, who practically lived at Noir, particularly in these summer months when she was on break from her job as a public school administrator. Excuse me, ma'am, but do you know who this artist is? Yeah, it's Sarita Wright. She's one of Stevie Wonder's ex-wives. Olga didn't know what to do. On the one hand, she was amused that this musically smug stranger had been so efficiently smacked down. On the other, she knew that once anyone said anything more than hello to Jeanette, they were in danger of having to listen to her oratory on the problems of the Department of Education for the next four hours. A speech that, no matter the variation of the details or the grievance, always ended up with Jeanette proclaiming yet again, the shit of the whole thing is we traded a corrupt democracy for an inept autocracy delighted by her own clever rhyming. She picked her battle. Before Jeanette could open her mouth again, Olga jumped in. See, common knowledge. Anyway, I appreciate your truly excellent taste in music, but I came in here to clear my head and have a drink, so if you don't mind, she turned away. Well, it seems more like you want to cloud your mind, the stranger offered. Excuse me? Just that drinking isn't what anyone does for real clarity, is it? 
Isn't it, Olga answered? I think there are about a million artists and writers who beg to differ. Are you a writer or an artist? I'm a wedding planner. I'm a realtor. I didn't ask. Yet something about that descriptor made her give the stranger another look. He was disheveled. His button-down shirt wrinkled, a rolled-up tie spilling out of his pocket. He carried under his arm an oversized ledger notebook with dog-eared pages, post-its, and business cards sticking out of its ends. He was wearing a massive Jansport book bag, stuffed like an overachieving eighth grader from an era before laptop computers. Wait, you're a realtor? Yeah, you looking for a place? Interested in exploring life in New Brooklyn? She was insulted. Shh, fuck out of here. I bleed old Brooklyn. Thank you very much. My family's been in Sunset Park since the 60s, one of the first Puerto Rican families in the hood, and we owned our house. Now the stranger appraised her. Really now, impressive given the redlining going on in the day. My grandmother was gangster, never involved a bank, bought our house from her landlord cash. He sold it to her for a song when the area got too brown for his taste. Is that right? Well, congratulations to your abuela for taking advantage of white flight. Olga couldn't help but laugh. Salud, she raised her glass and drank the last of the wine in it. I'm from South Slope, the stranger offered, in case you were wondering. She hadn't been, but now paused. Really? Born and raised? Born and raised. On the rare occasions that Olga met a fellow native, she was always surprised by how relaxed it made her feel, like she could slip into a dying tongue and talk about the old country. So listen, don't take this the wrong way or anything, but from one Brooklynite to another, I gotta ask you something. He laughed. Shoot, but I'm already gonna take it the wrong way because nobody starts with that if they're gonna say something positive. She smiled. So this neighborhood is hot right now. Luxury properties, new money coming in. The realtors I know are all kind of slick and polished. And you want to know how I get away looking like a crazy community college professor? Yeah, I guess that's what I was getting at. He took his backpack off, sidled up to the bar, and leaned in towards her. Well, I'm really talented. I'm very smart. I've got some swag. And frankly, I'm well-connected. I went to the best schools, literally. Packer, Bennington, the works. That's interesting. You're wondering why I'm just a realtor. Olga was, in fact, wondering exactly that. But before she could say it out loud, she asked herself, well, why the fuck are you a wedding planner, Olga? And decided to shut her mouth. No, she lied. My mother died and I never got over it. And I got my real estate license to deal with her house. And then one thing led to another. And the next thing you know, I'm doing this and I'm living in her house. And I kind of became a hoarder. Excuse me? Olga said, sure that she missed something. Yeah, I have a lot of stuff, mainly furniture. But you mean that metaphorically, not like the TV show. Um, No, I mean exactly like the TV show. Technically, since I don't keep newspapers or food, I might not need the clinical definition. But trust me, it's not normal. Like I said, my thing is really furniture and electronics. And knickknacks. I have a homo room. Olga laughed and the stranger laughed and Olga forgot for a second that she wanted to be alone. The stranger who'd now sat on the stool next to her offered his hand. I'm Mateo. Olga. Close up, Olga could see that Mateo was quite handsome underneath the scruffy semi-beard. He had a splattering of freckles and the kind of light brown eyes that Olga used to call Coca-Cola colored when she was a kid. His short curly hair was more salt than pepper, but she could tell that he was five, maybe six years older than her at the max. His rolled up shirt sleeves revealed muscular forearms covered in hair that was quite sexy. So Olga, let me get you another drink while you tell me what you were trying to clear your head about. As they downed two more glasses of wine, Olga told Mateo all about the funeral and Jan's suicide and of course his double life. I suppose though, Mateo offered, most of us in New York live double lives with a secret of some sort behind closed doors. Really, what's your secret? I already told you I'm a hoarder, she giggled. So what's your secret, Mateo asked. I'm a terrible person. Outside Noir, they stood kissing under a street lamp for an hour, their clothes growing damp from the humid summer night, his hands on the small of her back, the nape of her neck. Oak could feel Mateo hard on her thigh through his khakis. It excited her, kissing on a corner, something she was happy to discover she hadn't outgrown. The kisses tasted like memories and wine and salt, and she lost herself in them. 
Come to my place, she whispered in his ear. He fucked with his socks on, yet it surprised Olga how little he cared. In the morning, Olga opened her eyes and wondered how expediently she could get him out of the apartment. The coitus had been remarkably satisfying, the proper amount of fast and slow, rough and gentle, biting and caressing. He was a confident man, this complicated things. Olga frequently had male companions, but rarely allowed them to spend the night. On the odd occasions that she did, she usually triggered a swift morning exit by delivering an ego-bruising remark in an offhand manner. Usually, she was comfortably alone again before the coffee percolated. This tactic was doubly effective as it not only drove the offended party from her abode, it saved her from the trouble of having to ignore the text seeking further mediocre conversation as a preamble to even more mediocre intercourse. But this morning felt different. She had enjoyed Mateo both before and during and wanted to keep her options open. But that did not mean she did not want him gone now. She cleared her throat loudly in an effort to wake him up. She slid out of bed into her robe, climbing over her black funeral slash wedding dress, his rumpled button-down shirt, and inexplicably, his Tiva sandals. She looked back for visual confirmation that she had indeed just fucked the guy who wore socks and sandals in the summer. Yes, there they were, peeking out from under the comforter, attached to his muscular hairy calves. Morning, he said. This is some mattress. I slept like a baby. Um, thanks, she said, hearing the awkwardness of her own voice. She quickly scuttled into the kitchen, cut on the news, and started her coffee. She did this as loudly as possible, hoping the noise would send the message she seemed unable to verbally communicate. As the coffee filled the pot, her angst began to mount, his presence threatening to cross the invisible line into her morning routine. She opened the cabinet, contemplated pulling out two mugs, but instead took out just one, her go-to with the mascot of her fancy New England college. Its presence at the start of her every morning, both a comforting aid memoir to her own ambition and intelligence, and a disquieting reminder that she was likely squandering the two. Even with the stocked feet and the hum of the central AC, she could hear him making his way to the bathroom, down the short corridor towards her. In her adult life, Olga had only been in one real room, and that had ended nearly 15 years before. This type of intimacy was unfamiliar, leaving her unsure how to act. Would he greet her like a husband, like a lover? How should she react to that? A grimace, a sweet kiss? Pretend for a moment to be like a man eager for an instant of domestic bliss? Shit, this is some view, Mateo exclaimed. It was. The apartment was located on the second floor of one of the older of the new high-rises that had come to dominate and transform one of the previously neglected enclaves of her hometown. It featured floor-to-ceiling windows that offered sweeping views of what Olga considered her little patch of Brooklyn. From her kitchen, she could look down one of the bustling avenues and practically see the neighborhood she had grown up in. I mean, the construction of these buildings is garbage. I hope you're leasing and didn't buy. But wow, the view. Chef's kiss. Olga stared at him. He was naked, his flaccid penis dangling as he paced the room, clocking each angle of the view. You're naked. I am, he said. Is that weird somehow? We were naked all night. Yeah, but now it's daytime, so I guess I was just a little surprised you were still naked. This is interesting. I didn't take you for the puritanical type, but then again, I didn't know you'd spent formative years with the witch burners up north. She looked at him quizzically and he gestured towards her mug. Ah, she chuckled. She was less uncomfortable than she thought she would be, the realization of which made her uncomfortable. For a moment, there was a silence between her, the meteorologist on the TV lamenting about climate change. A clip of her brother on the news brought her back to her senses. So yeah, listen, it's just that normally, God, is there a day when this homie isn't on the news? She put her mug down. Not a fan, I take it? Mateo laughed. Of what? His schmaltz or his unbridled ambition? I was half expecting him to announce a bid for president the day after the last election. Olga didn't really want to engage him. After all, chances were she would never see him again. But she was proud of her brother. We should be so lucky. My brother would be an amazing president. He'll never run, though. So for now, I guess the people of Sunset Park have to be content with having their own personal Pedro Bitsu Campos. Mateo looked from Olga to the TV and back to Olga again. Hold up. Don't tell me that you're related to Congressman Acevedo. 
Okay, I won't tell you. She smiled a bit smugly. Damn. Damn, she laughed. No hard feelings? None. You know what they say about opinions and all. Funny girl. He smiled. Listen, Ma, since there's no hard feelings, what's the guy got to do to get a cup of coffee? Where's that Brooklyn hospitality? She was embarrassed. She knew better and he called her on it. How do you take it? She asked as he reached for a second mug. Light and slightly bitter, I suppose. He was suddenly up close behind her, his erection brushing the back of her robe. He reached around her for the mug. Don't worry about me. I can fix my own coffee. You go do your thing. Just going to drink my java, charge my phone, and I'll be on my way. You're not the only one with shit to do. The last part, he said playfully and pinched her cheek for good measure. She stared at him. Who was this naked hoarder? Bravo. <laughs> I think the, the, the greatest feat is that you were able to pack all of these things in social themes, political, sexual, very personal, but you managed to make it interesting. I mean, if somebody just listed all of the topics like in a grocery list that you copied in this that that you covered in this book I would be sure that it would be a snooze fest right yeah 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 so interesting the book is I saw these cinematic possibilities and then boom I heard there was a there's a Hulu um there's a Hulu deal in the works with some very interesting characters who I love I didn't peg the girl that who who's gonna be Olga Uh uh-huh yeah we had Olga as like seriously hippie and tiny waist. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Because we can't have. I mean, I guess that's also the beauty of 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 creating this character's image in your own mind, right? Like you just give us everything else, and we get to um, we get to image this character. Um, and I also love. It's so funny, by the way. I think Aubrey might agree with you because Aubrey was like, I. I don't have the body that maybe you imagined Olga has. I legit went Google searching for pictures of her. I'm like, okay, so what are they going to do? Like, she's going to wear like a padded, padded underwear. But she's so, she really brings it. And what I will say is like, she really brings it. And she brings, um, she brings this ability to live in both worlds that, um, I, I think, and, but I, I to, on the other side, the other side of that, it was very important when we were casting. And I, one of the things that I think is so beautiful about the way that the pilot, hopefully that, you know, we'll, we'll see where the network lands. But, um, one of the things that I think was so beautiful when we were casting was that, um, you know, I know some people did have that version in their minds of Olga, but then I was like, well, we know that and I was like, we have to make sure that all of our body types are represented, that all of our skin tones are represented. And we shot this scene. It's a beautiful, it's a scene that doesn't exist in the book, but it's like, you know, I love because sometimes you have to go a little bit beyond. And it was like Aubrey and Jessica Pimentel, who is on Orange, who is, uh, you know, India, India, Latina, Indian, Dominican. Um, we had Melissa Dupree, who's Afro Boricua. We had Daphne Rubin Vega. Like, I mean, we just had this beautiful, and then a few different extras that were just all these beautiful different Latinas of different shapes and sizes and colors and hair textures. And it was, we were like weeping when we finished shooting that scene. And it's a sweet little scene. It's like a bridal shower. You know, we had the wicker chair, the whole thing. But <laughs> it was like, I well, think it was really momentous. Yeah. For, for 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 people of color, for black people, for for brown women. Yeah, it's really a, it's a it was a beautiful thing. So I think our 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 purpose, our, our intention was to build the the world as diverse as it really is. And um, you know, and I think like I think that I, I felt so proud of it, and I felt proud of it 
in the book, you know, we didn't make a cast announcement for some reason, but Laz Alonso plays Reggie King. And it was, it was so beautiful because he's so, he, so first he very rarely gets to play an, a Latino. Like he very rarely gets to play, like, you know, he's almost always cast as just an African-American man. And, and he is so active for rights for Cuba and he is so like vocal. And so it was such a great casting and so fun and beautiful. And like, we know it is really, um, so I'm excited for that opportunity, but I also want to say like, I'm really glad though, that the book lives as the book now and that people have time for Olga to look however they want her to look like yeah. for all these characters to look That's however I, they want them to look. Yeah. And then also, right. She also has to be able to pass. She has to be yes. the kind of Puerto Rican who is not a yes. right? Like, Oh, of course. Fair. She also can't be too much of one thing because she has to, that's her currency in that other mm-hmm. world. And and I think that's how she slips in and out, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I, it's funny, somebody, um, somebody, a, a, an older white guy read this book and said, I don't know how you got into our brains like this. He was like, like, it's terrible. He's like, like, like the death rattle of relevance of the middle-aged white man. Like he was like, it's so, he's like, it was a little frightening. And, and I said, you know, I was like, I said, I, my experience of being able, me being so passable and being in and out of these rooms and knowing that that palatability is why you get invited into spaces. Correct. Correct. On the one hand, it haunts you. And on the other, it gnaws at you. And on the other hand, you're like, well, this is how the world works. And on the other hand, people forget that you're there because that you check your box and then they talk whoever they want to talk and you really hear everything. Yeah. You hear everything. And I, I think, you know, I want to just say like, because I feel like this is such a good space to say it. The world's smallest violin is playing for me with all my white skin privilege. But like, I think I did want to also show that within that, there's a lot of um, like cognition. Like she's very cognizant that I had opportunities Mabel didn't have because of nothing more than like my face. Yeah. Iron Way talks about how smart Mabel was when uh Mabel is like helping her through this really emotional time. And we find out that Mabel read for a degree in psychology or something Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. that. She's so, so it wasn't I mean, smart. So what was it? It was her. Oh, yeah. It's like, but, but you see it because I I remember going to Brown in the nineties, um, mid nineties, and they used to have us put our photos with our application. I can't imagine this is legal now. Okay, but you'd put your photo. The school is very good looking because implicit bias. They're like, oh, everybody handsome, but so light skin. The majority of Latinos that they admitted in that era white skin Latinos, white passable Latinos, you would get invited to functions at the president's house and every minority would be like the lightest skin people. And it's like, but it wasn't just getting into Brown. It was all the steps along the way that got you there. It's all of the implicit bias in the classroom. Implicit bias. Yeah. Implicit bias. And I think like <laughs> her experience is, you know, she was raised by in part by her parents who were very aware of all this. And it's like, you know, she, lives benefiting from it but then tormented by the knowledge that she's benefiting from mm-hmm. it and I mm-hmm. and I I think I wanted to show a character that is aware of it you know what I mean like because I think um I guess because me personally I did, had that that experience and I think also I thought it was fascinating because you know when you look in the private sector and you see especially like you know Univision not to call them out specifically but like corporate 
like Latin spaces, it's always the whitest people running those spaces. But then when you look in the private, in the public sector, that's where you see space for people of color to expel, like, right. Like, and, and yeah. I think that it was sort of partially why I also was like, oh, I was like, politics would be a good arena for her brother because it's a, it's a space where you're given more leeway. And that's a credit, like you counting visually is a credit. Like, it's like, people are like, that's great. Like in that arena, I want to see that you're here. Like, <laughs> I want you standing behind me it and that really- counts. Look, it, it has everything to do with what you look like for, oh. for people of color, for black people. Completely. For- completely. And I think I didn't want to like write a story that doesn't acknowledge that because I think my, I was happy that you did that because there is, um, and because there's nothing, I mean, there really is no monolith in the black community, right? Whether it's black meaning African-American, whether it's black meaning Afro-Caribbean, whether mm-hmm. it's so that even within the Caribbean, we have all these different um, cultures that are divided along language groups. I think that a lot of us can acknowledge or can say that for a very long time, a lot of Latinx people um, yes. shunned the blackness. Yes, yes. Right. Um, um, yes. That you just grappled it, like you confronted it and you were very honest about it. Um, because I feel like that's the only way that we can dismantle it. I think that that's right. And I think that it's also knowing that, um, you know, I think a lot of it's also knowing that maybe the way that our own families dealt with these things is not the right way. Like, it, and I, 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 I had this, conver- we had this conversation. We had so many conversations about hair and straightening hair when we were working on the show. And, you know, I was like, I said, literally, it was like, you look, you look sloppy when you don't like, you look, you look hair's not, like, well, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Like, and it's like, like where are these things and they get, you know, and they get ingrained in us, and they get ingrained in us. And it's like, it's just, it's so damaging. And we have to look at, at that and we have to say, like, and honestly, even my, in my own family, my, um, you know, my mother and her sister are very different complexions. And it was like, re- like really, I, I, my, my grandmother would tell stories. She'd be like, people would stop and stare at, at your mom you know it's like they'd ignore your mother and stare at her at her sister and she's like and I would put her in the sun and put lemon in her hair to try to lighten it like like she try she's like I'd put zinc on her face and lemon in her hair <laughs> and put her in the sun to try to lighten her hair and like I, and so you know I think some of it it's funny I have to say like I wonder if I would have I don't know if I would have written this book when my grandparents were alive, like in a funny way, like they passed away right when I started writing. And I think in some ways I can be more honest about how everything, right, exactly. like if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. Cause it's, it, you can feel a lot of shame when you look at the own racism within your own family, mm-hmm. like sometimes, mm-hmm. and that is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I think my, 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 again, like I said, like, I might have a very a hard relationship with my, an almost non-existent relationship with my mother because she did prioritize all of these other things. And that is very challenging, but I admire her. I think even in these letters, some people have very like, they're like, I can't stand the mother. And I was like, very, uh, conflicted. I was very, very conflicted. conflicted. I'm very conflicted. Yeah. She always has something wise to say though. Yeah. There's something, there's something screwy in every letter, but then there's always a little truth. I was like, you right, like even a broken clock. But is she really a broken clock? I was gonna say it's right twice a day, but she was. But she, she was onto, onto something. She was onto something. She was really onto something, and you know, and so 
this is not an autobiographical book, but there is a, it's a it's a pain collage of sorts. Like you know, but I <laughs> like it's a pain collage of sorts. But I think it was I and originally when I started writing, I thought because people thought that my story with my mom and living with my grandparents was interesting, and um and it was, but I almost couldn't be as honest as I could by actually having it be fiction because then you can really get into an issue or a feeling because you're like, oh, it's less attached to me. I know what the feeling is, but it wasn't this experience. And it is more almost like acting in a funny way. Like it's like you're in the character and you're like, I can have a different experience, but I know the feeling that that's going to elicit and be more yeah. honest. You're a masterful storyteller. You brought all of the, I, I was on the ride with each of these characters. I felt mm-hmm. for her brother. Of course I felt for Olga, who's so very funny. Um, I loved how you laid everything bare and you never really criticized any of your characters. You just kind of put it out there and let, you know, let your reader decide where they wanted to go with those things. Um, Even for the most egregious characters, I felt like you gave everybody that you gave everybody a redemptive quality. Everybody. I loved Reggie King. He was so cool. I loved Reggie. (laughs) And the mother um, as flawed and as troubled as she was, I can't think of a more disciplined character in modern Caribbean fiction. Mm. Very, very disciplined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, she's um, and she's she's powerful. She's powerful, and I, I, I wanted you know, I I was so inspired by Filiberto Ojero Dios, um, who had gone into the mountains and hid for fifteen years and only sent his children tapes like cassette tapes and I just thought to myself how would people feel about a woman that did that you know because he was like a folk hero and I was like I wonder how people would feel about a woman that did that and I also was thinking and why I have more sympathy for her and it comes up in the book but when she came of age a woman in America couldn't even have a credit card in her name without being married Mm -hmm. you know and so Mm -hmm. this idea that you stumble into a life life choices um Mm -hmm is something that I have a lot of empathy for. And I think, you know, it's funny when you think we even just, I think one of the challenges with the baby boomers that we see is that a lot of them did that because they had limited choices. And then they spent a lot of time, like being like trying to get out of a box. Yeah. Which is another kind of box by itself. Yeah. 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 But I I definitely, I think that I I think there's a lot of, I, I think I have empathy for her when I look at her within the context of her generation in a different way than if I just look at her the way that like we look at contemporary motherhood today. She's always had, and so that's why we had you on that panel, the joys of motherhood for the yeah, festival. Yeah. It really examined. I have to admit for years growing up, I judged other mothers based on certain actions that they did. And I mean, to be fair to women, cause we are also very complex and there are all kinds of us and it takes all kinds to make up this world. Perhaps some people are not born to conscribe, to subscribe to this conscription of, 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 of characteristics that a mother is supposed to have, but she always had a fire blazing inside of her. That was bigger than her little frame. And I think it was also powerful that you sent her back to her homeland for her to ascend to the Zenith of, um, of, of, of the, the height of power. Yes. Um, and she's a girl, she's a, a rebel leader. So I got this very 
Cuba Chavez vibe. About yes, it. yes, yes. And okay. you know, and I think I also, in some ways, I saw her as functioning somewhat as a metaphor um, for for diasporic people and diasporic Boricuas because Olga and her brother, she's neither they're of her, but they don't know her. Mm-hmm. And and I and that parallels so much the way that they have a relationship with their island, right? Like where it's like they're of it and there's this pull, there's this yeah. pull that it sometimes is inexplicable. You know, I think she's shocked when she's so sad at watching this footage of the hurricane after the hurricane. And um and I, I saw Blanca functioning in some ways as this parallel, like truly the mother, right? Like, and it's like even when you're far, you still feel this connection. And um, and I, I think I don't, you know, I, I, I it's like, it, it's just this. I was watching the Bad Bunny concert the other day, and they did this. Be- he has this beautiful video that uh, Benicio del Toro uh, narrates, and I was like in tear in tears and i knew and in the concert in San Juan, i knew that for all the young people in the audience like this is mm-hmm. a different experience watching that video than it is for me but mm-hmm. like at the mm-hmm. same time it's like this pull of like what that still like makes me feel a feeling you know and and, and, and yeah elizabeth velasquez covers that in um when we make it right she asked yes Am I really Puerto Rican if I can't speak Spanish? If I, oh, I, I yeah. Uh, anyway, um, she is a national treasure. Yo, for real. She for- is a national treasure, and I told her this is just the beginning. Like this book <laughs> is just the beginning. Um, would you say that there is a Boricua revolution kind of because I feel something oh I I feel it I'm feeling it and I I think we are what we're doing is and I'm seeing it in in the arts right now so much I'm seeing literary arts I'm seeing it in public space art like I even just Mm -hmm. um looking at what Jali Stepeta Brown is doing with Nueva Yorkinos is like amazing like it's like just what we're doing is we're reconnecting the dots between yeah. the history that was erased for us and today, and, and that the history to me to give up, right? And some of it yes, that we had to, you guys some that we up. had to give up, and some that we were told, oh, these were radical, these were radical um, terrorists, and like oh, be embarrassed of them, and not, and instead we're like reexamining our own past, our own communities, our own community centers, and re- re- representing this time when we had agency before we were told that we had been victims our whole lives. And I think, and I also want to say that Maria, I think it was something that actually started on the island and is reverberating because after Maria, the way that people, when all of the, the texts were unearthed from Rousseau and that people took to the streets in 2019, the summer of 2019, mm-hmm. that I think we were like, we've always had this in us. So I do mm-hmm. feel that there is a revolution coming. And I think, I wanted, I, I wrote the book for, I wrote the book for, you know, body quest for New Yorkinos. I wrote it for every, every, uh, my own community and, mm-hmm. and these women. But what I also kept thinking is I was like, I think people should be so distraught. Like we should hardly be able to sleep at night that there's a second degree of citizenship. Like it's already, like we're already, because we've been growing up in arms about how, what happens after somebody comes out of jail and is, is no longer allowed to vote? And it's like, well, here are people that by 
sheer locale are less participants of this country. And that should disgust us all. Like it should disgust every citizen of this country, every resident of this country. Like, and, and so I felt like at the very least, we're talking about a social justice issue that, that has been too long ignored. The people of the USVI, they talk about that a lot too. Yes, yes, yes. And, and it's funny because I think like you, like it's painted as paradise. So you're supposed mm-hmm. to just swallow the fact that you don't have all the mm-hmm. same rights. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, and one of the things that's so fascinating, and then we can get into the reading, but like, I love the movements that are happening on the island that I'm so inspired by. Like vegetarianism is of an act of political protest in Puerto Rico mm-hmm. because it's so hard to be a vegetarian like it's like because of the jones act and it's like a political it's a political movement so i think that what we're seeing is mainlanders being inspired by mm-hmm. islanders and mm-hmm. i do feel we are on the precipice of something and it's um i'm starting to see we're starting to all talk to each other and i i'm um and i'm excited about it i'm really it's beautiful in a history class, I studied, um, we, were, we had to study the anatomy of a revolution, and it always mm. an intellectual base that's off of the grounds where the revolution is taking place. Yes. So I doubt that, um, that Puerto Rico, and I would say in the other islands of the Caribbean, the same thing is happening because something um, phenomenal and tremendous is going on. Olga had me Googling, and I hope that Olga has everybody in the pages of Google, in the pages of history books. Mm. Um, in the pages of Encyclopedia, in the pages of the Atlas, so you get a spatial sense of the sheer magnificence and beauty and grandeur of this novel. All mm. our love to you. We absolutely Thank you support. So much. Cannot wait for all of the fantastic things that are that are going that are to come. Um, and we remain in your corner steadily as your cheerleader. Oh my gosh! Thank you so. What a dream! What just a dream! And I just so appreciate. And I just so appreciate it. So thank you. We appreciate you more for real. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to follow CocoPod and turn on your notifications so that you don't miss new stories when they drop. One last thing. Caribbean stories and Caribbean writers need our help. Show your support by sharing and downloading this podcast as far as and as widely as you can. Buy their books, support independent bookshops, and request Caribbean titles from your local libraries. Remember that a rising tide lifts all ships. Give thanks. For more Caribbean storytelling goodness, follow CocoPod and BCLF Always Lit on all major podcast platforms. (laughs) 